This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good evening. Does that sound good? I guess. All right. This is definitely a, a lot of firsts for me. I've never been mic'd up before, so that's not good. I've never had the responsibility given to me of this thing before, and I've never gotten so much out of one of Paul's letters before. So thank you, church family, for this study and, and this opportunity. Tonight we will be discussing verses 9 through 18 of the first chapter in the letter to the Colossians. This is what I saw when I first read these 10 verses. Everything just ran together and nothing stuck out in my mind. Paul is not afraid of long compound sentences mixed with tons of commas and semicolons. And when I first read this, I'm not going to lie, I thought it was way, way, way above my head. Still kind of wondering about that. But after prayer and much read-throughs, I came up with this little outline here. All right? I believe Paul does an amazing job of building on his ideas emphasizing them with multiple points and sometimes expounding further on a single word. I know it's hard to see, that's a little bitty, but I wanted to show y'all why each of my verses, or why each of the verses was presented the way they are on each slide. It helped me to see clearly all the points Paul was trying to make for the Church of Colossae. So this is how we start off, right, with verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, this reason... Right? There should be a little footnote there for that word. And it says, please see Brother Brian's and Brother Kalen's amazing lessons from before. These are the reasons they shared with us earlier. And they told us of the problems the church was having, the twisted culture of Colossae, the Gnosticism, the angel worship, and their incredibly sad interpretation of Jesus and his power. And also, like we heard, this we here is Paul and Timothy, But I also imagine anyone else within Paul's earshot at the time of this writing had already been told about the Colossians' problems and was asked to pray alongside Paul too. But this right here, this is where we get everything, all the formalities and everything are wrapped up. And I think this is the main point that he gets right to. I believe the next 10 verses and the rest of it falls under this heading and it hinges on it. Because Paul's warning the church of Colossae to know that they are being prayed for constantly. Because doesn't it always feel absolutely amazing when somebody tells you they are praying for you? I know it does for me, because it always means two things. One, that person cares an awfully lot about you to bring you up before God in prayer. And two, God and his amazing power have now entered the building. Right? Mustard seeds and mountains moved and all that, right? That's why we have that little board over there. Because now your prayers to your Heavenly Father have been added upon, and the full of awe, life-changing, infinite power has grown exponentially with each person in prayer. And like Kalen said last week, how cool is it to know, not only is Paul praying back then for the church in Colossae, but he is also praying for us, the Highway 71 Church of Christ, and our family of believers, right here, right now. I just love that, and I'm amazed by that thought. All right, so, segue. So a long time ago, 
right after I got my driver's license, I was asked to go to my friend's house from church. It was about the same distance from here to Fort Smith, and it also required for me to drive on the interstate to get there. I had been to my friend's house multiple times before, but now that it was solely up to me to get there, I didn't have a clue where to begin. I was, it was so bad I didn't know to go left or right out of the driveway, right? And as I stated before, this was a long, long time ago before any GPS, so I went to the next best thing, my dad, and I asked him for directions. And as he started listing off the street names, complete with the proper compass headings and distances I was supposed to go on each road, he sadly noticed my eyes were slowly glazing over. I knew the words he was saying, but he was giving way too much information for my measly mind to comprehend. And my dad quickly changed tactics and wrote all the directions down for me on a piece of paper. I was able to easily follow them step by step, and I think that is what Paul has done here. After stating that he is praying for them, he listed specifically and exactly what he was praying for. That way the church of Colossae, who had gotten everything all jumbled up, could follow his directions, get back on the right path, and ensure they would reach their desired final destination. So as we learned, the Gnostics of Colossae gave great, great value to the accumulation of knowledge. But Paul is praying for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He prayed for them to realize it is the only knowledge worth seeking and the only knowledge worth attaining. At this point, the church had taken many wrong turns and were experiencing that aftermath. And sadly, almost all of them did not even realize that they were lost, thinking everything was normal because of their culture. But what better way to help them counteract that, counteract that warped cultural influence and strange meshing of religions than to ask for the church to receive knowledge of God's will? With that knowledge... They could know exactly what God was expecting out of them, expecting for their church, and how to strive for godly living in a Christ-like life. So from here, I believe, wisdom grows out of that knowledge. It is feasible for somebody to be so smart they could go on to Jeopardy and win every day for the rest of their life. But they could also not be smart enough to tie their own shoe, right? Facts are just facts and are not useful in and of themselves. However, as Paul was pointing out, knowledge of God's will calls and demands one to use it in their life. And that knowledge put into practice is then wisdom. On the flip side of that, there is no wisdom in embracing and living contrary to the commandments of God. That is going the wrong way down a one-way street. But when we are filled with the knowledge of God, God's will in our everyday lives, we are able to wisely discern and filter everything through a clearly defined yes-no flowchart of God's making. And during all of this process, Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit to intercede on behalf of the Church of Colossae as well, to help them with spiritual understanding. The Spirit, the Spirit and its gifts help fill in the gaps the Church and their members had, which most of that moment did not even know they were living with. With that extra power of the Holy Spirit, their limited and young faith could then be fully filled with the knowledge of God's will. When I was continuing to outline this, trying to get it down to its essential elements, I originally had it listed like this, with four things that Paul was praying for them. But that that right there 
with the, where's that? Right there, verse 10, right there, that, that changed everything. That there is a crucial crossroads for Paul's directions for the Colossians. They had to follow first the instructions before to get to this, that, and then to keep going as well. This is how I believe Paul wanted it to be read. That, 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 that makes it where there, there are three things Paul is praying for for the church of Colossae, and the three things of them cannot happen without first being filled with the understanding of God's will. Without that first step, the rest of Paul's prayers could not happen for them. So as we go into verse 10, after you're filled with the knowledge of God's will, it would be for you to have your good Christian walk. And in this prayer, he lists the four things to make a Christ-like walk possible. First of those, walking worthy of the Lord. I imagine this is like wearing your favorite t-shirt. You put it on and you are instantly a walking billboard for your favorite team or band or whatever on your chest. Our Christian walk is exactly the same way. The world is watching us and how we live is a direct advertisement for the Lord. So to be worthy, our actions need to match up with our beliefs at all times. Sadly, this is where even today numerous people are left with a bad taste in their mouth towards church because of its people not walking the right way. So we need to always walk intentionally worthy of the Lord so we can reflect him properly to the world. Next, we have fully pleasing him. I believe this goes hand in hand with being worthy. I know when one of my kids go out of their way to do something right or to do something nice for somebody, it sure makes this dad proud. And I know our Heavenly Father feels that same joy when we walk according to his will. And besides, when it comes to the way we walk, to the way we live, is there anything else that we should worry about more than pleasing Him? Number three, you then become very fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful is a byproduct of being mature in one's faith. This was a prayer for the future, seeing as the Colossians' faith had been wrong up to this point. It would take some time to fully mature once they finally realized how to correct it. And then number four, you would be increasing in the knowledge of God as you walk. Earlier, Paul prayed for the knowledge of God's will. Here he is praying for the increasing knowledge of God. Paul's talking about that special knowledge which can only come about from a personal relationship with your Creator. When we spend time together making new memories and connections as a church family... That does not just happen by, uh, by chance. We have to put in that time to grow closer together. It is the same with God. We have to set aside time with God because a personal relationship is not going to happen on its own. We have to spend time in God's presence, whether that is through prayer or diving into His Word, so that we can get to know Him more better and fully and, and increase our knowledge of God. In verse 11, we move on to the second thing that Paul prayed about, which is to be uh, strengthened with all might. Paul knew from personal experience of living differently for the Lord, hardships were on the horizon. Living through all the unfun times he has experienced, he knew the church was going to have to pull long and deep from the unending and life-giving well of God's glorious power. He knew times were about to get bad and the church and its individual members would not make it on their own. But with God granting them his strength and power, it would be possible. 
Because with their new knowledge of God's will, they were going to be called to live differently. And that would be absolutely differently than everybody else in all of Colossae. They would be going against everything and everyone they had ever known that could and would include their neighbors, their friends, their family, and probably even members of their own church who could sadly choose their culture again instead of the right path laid out in front of them in this letter. So with those potholes waiting for them to trip them up, I imagine the patience prayed for here was both for the church as they struggled to get through the inevitable hard times and consequences of living right in the land of twisted religion and culture, and also for the church members to have patience as they dealt with the rest of the Colossians. Being impatient with them at this time, while trying to show them the errors of their ways, would only hinder any church, that, any chance that the church members could ever have to share the true gospel with them. And I guess, oops, excuse me, I got, the, got dry all of a sudden. And then with our word long-suffering there, I guess I've always mistook that or misunderstood that word. I always just thought it meant suffering for a long time. But now that I see that, it means having patience in spite of one's troubles. I do not know about you, but when troubles come my way, that patience is usually the first thing out the window. So I imagine the church, just like I do, take great comfort in knowing Paul was praying for this. And then to top that off, we're supposed to do that with joy, right? If enduring trials and patience and long-suffering was not hard enough, Paul prayed for them and for us to do it with joy. These two little words are probably the hardest part of an already impossible task to do on one's own. And patience and long-suffering are difficult to maintain during trials as it is, but to handle hardships with joy can only be done with God's might through His glorious power. I also imagine as the church endured their hardships with joy, it would show the entire city of Colossae just how different the church was and then draw others in in the process. And then finally on to our third things, giving thanks to the Father. After you're filled with the knowledge of His will, of God's will, you would think it would only be a no-brainer to give thanks to the Father. But even after everything God had gifted the church there, His Son, His church, His grace, His creation, His word, His love, the church of Colossae still needed to be more grateful because the way they were practicing religion at that time was the furthest thing from giving thanks to the Lord. It was not a living sacrifice. When you look at just how much the Lord had given them, they should have been on their knees constantly. And I feel like... Uh, that goes for a lot of people around us as well, not just here, but our country as a whole, with all that we've been given, it should be given thanks constantly. And whenever you think about that, especially when our Creator is the one who has qualified us, and qualified us means here to make fit or to make eligible, and God did that. We have absolutely nothing to do with that, and it was all Him. And that alone, I believe, deserves our eternal gratefulness. And I know those two words get thrown a lot, around a lot, eternal gratefulness. But if you put those together and think about that is the way you actually get to live forever, eternally grateful, it means uh, uh, it's, that just would be awesome. <laughs> 
right? So Jesus, I mean, God has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. Partakers, we get to join in to enjoy God's inheritance. And, and he made it that way. He has qualified us that for that, which is just an, a, an amazing blessing. And it's the one I know I do not deserve. And how can you not be thankful for that whenever you're given so much for doing the wrong thing? That just doesn't make sense. But I also love the use of God, of Paul's word, inheritance there. You know, we are so used to that word being used as someone we know dying, right? And then they leave something behind for us. But the, God flips that inheritance on its ear here because Jesus died so that we do not get left behind. God made it so that we get to become part of his family. You know, usually inheritance is already there, but now we get scooted on over there into his family because he sought us and bought us with his redeeming love. I couldn't pass that opportunity up there. <laughs> so to be the partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And like Kalen said the other day, saints here are meaning, are meaning holy in the light. Uh, traditionally at that time, it says everything that is good is in the light. So our inheritance will be an eternity in the presence of all goodness, our creator. That uh, can't be thankful for that. I don't know who can, right? But at this point, we got to our first period, right? The, we finally got that first little, uh, our period there. And two things of note, I think, happen here. The light here right, is mentioned, is Paul throwing a little foreshadowing into the verses here, like a road sign, how many miles ahead we got. We got the light, right? And also right here, you know, uh, I kind of picture, I picture like my dad had wrote those directions out, and now Paul, like my dad, is going to write out the car's owner manual, right? He's going to start from here. And he's going to just keep on writing because he thinks we need to know a little bit more. So we're going to go on top of that to talk more about the Father because he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Uh, the, the art nerd in me really likes how qualified us and delivered us and then watch, watch this and conveyed us. All lines up there. I like that. But he has delivered us. This is in stark contrast, right, to the, uh, to the saints of light before. An inheritance is usually a gift freely given while the power of darkness tries to steal us away from our Creator. But God has rescued us from the power of sin and death. Another amazing reason and possibility for us to, to be eternally grateful. And as I said, we move on to, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Again, God has stole us away from where he does not want us to be. And he has relocated us, that's conveyed, us into the kingdom of the son of his love. I just think that of the son of his love is the coolest phrase in the whole world. The kingdom of the son of his love. It is most definitely his kingdom, and he paid for it with his blood, and he will reign rightfully there forever. And at this comma here, I picture Paul again, his mind going into overdrive at the words, the son of his love. From here, I imagine this would be the equivalent of my dad 
After writing the owner's manual, wrote down every traffic law for me to follow, wrote out the entire biology textbook to know that my, how my body works as I drive, out the whole life science book to know how the trees are giving me carbon dioxide to help me breathe as I go down the road, the physics books of the friction of the tires and the aerodynamics of the car, and so on and so on and so on. This is where Paul includes absolutely everything he can think of about Jesus so the members of the church Colossae understood Jesus is absolutely everything. And it's all right there. He has it listed of the son of his love, and it just goes from there. But we'll start here, like I said, of the son of his love in 14, in whom we have redemption. Paul wanted the church of Colossae to have no doubts. Jesus is the only way, the path, and the light. And as they try to get home, Jesus is the only way to get there. And Paul reminds them that they have been redeemed. All of their sins have been forgiven, but not by the blood of some sacrificial animal, but by the blood of Jesus. We are paid for in full, having been ransomed from our sins by Jesus' sacrifice, and that which makes our inheritance a reality. Then he goes on and describes him as the image of the invisible God. Paul wanted the church of Colossae to have no doubt Jesus was God among us. Jesus came to earth for all the world to see and so that the unseen God could be seen in person. That was hard for them to wrap their head around at that time, but if you ain't got that, you ain't got anything in my book. And then you're on to the firstborn over all creation. Not the firstborn of the creation, but the firstborn of all creation. That means there that uh, in traditionally, you know, that title went to the, the firstborn. That was the father's heir and would inherit all that the father had. So Christ is God's heir. Heir. That got weird there. Uh, yeah, he was going to get everything of God's. And he will inherit all of creation, and everything will be his. And then once again, I imagine Paul looking at that word over all creation, and he said, let's go from there. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. I don't, that's, I mean, I don't know where to go. That's good there, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I read, you know, visible and invisible. Well, you see those words, you think the, the war that's going on all around us that we don't see, right? And the, our actions, the way we walk, we're helping in that fight, even though we do not see it, right? And then the middle part here, the weather thrones, our dominions, our principalities. I read that was for the church of Colossae. Right, Because they believed in and went so far as to put Jesus somewhere low on that list in the hierarchy of angels even. And Paul was saying there is no list. There is only Jesus. But I also like to think about the governments of this world at this time and what they have deemed their power and their dominions. None of that matters either because it's all Jesus's. And I love that Paul used this whole section, right? Because we can see the complexity of Jesus. He was before all things, and all things were created by him, through him, for him, 
and consist in him. He is the beginning of creation, the power that holds that creation together, and the end goal of creation itself. Paul was warning the church of Colossae and for us to have no doubts of the importance of Christ. He is the only way. It's hard to be a Christian if Christ is not at the beginning of your faith, the power that holds that faith together, and the end goal of your faith. <clears throat> and once again, he's still going. But this time, he's wanting to talk to the church themselves and let them know Jesus is the big time, and y'all don't have him in the right spot. He needs to be right here at the head of the body, um, the head of the church, right? He just dropped the Jesus' awesome resume, and he wants to clarify just how important Christ needed to be in them and in their church. Colossae had devalued and misplaced Jesus' position in the church, placing him somewhere around the middle amongst the angels. Jesus is and has to be for us the head of the church, the only one leading us and the only one teaching us, and only being guided through him. And just like with creation, Jesus is the beginning of the church, the power that holds it together, and the end goal of the church. Because from there, who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead. In the Bible, others has risen from the dead before, but they still eventually died again. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, the only one to have ever come back and remained victorious over death. His victory showed nothing can hold him back, and though he is the first, he will, be, he will not be the last to defeat death. And so that in all things, he may have preeminence. That's the, what's that, the mic drop, right? He may have the preeminence. It does not get any bigger than that. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the author and finisher of our faith, the King of Kings, the Word, the Rock, the true bride, I mean the true vine, the bridegroom, bridegroom the way, the truth, and the light, and so on and so on forever and ever. Because Jesus has prominence. He has superiority over everyone, everything, everywhere, always and forever. And I burnt through that pretty fast. <laughs> but so I hope I shed some light on, uh, on some of Paul's verses here tonight. And just like Paul prayed for all of those years ago, I pray tonight that in each and every one of your lives you are full of knowledge of God's will, so you can walk as Christ-like as possible, so you can draw strength from God's might, and you are, can constantly give thanks to the Father. And I also pray that in all things, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your strength, in your absolute everything, Jesus has absolute preeminence in everything. If there's anything our church family can do for you on your fa or your family tonight, Please come forward as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.